Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, Birds Down Under fans. It's me, your host, Tom, back after a few weeks of mourning and soul-searching as I, I let the loss sink in. I have to admit that uh, on the day that I did the loss review after the Super Bowl, I think I probably should have given a couple days. It's a little bit like when you get an email at work that really annoys you and they always say, sleep on it. Don't send a response to an, e- an email that annoyed you the, n- the day of. I think I should have done that. I should have given myself a little bit of time to process the game. It was pretty raw. But, you know, it got done and I've had a few weeks to reflect on everything. And, uh, you know, we've now got to start thinking about the uh, the off season, which is uh, we're properly squarely in it now. So um, a couple of Super Bowl thoughts that I did want to share and one of them was the turf. I didn't bring that up in the uh, the post game review, but as anybody who watched the game would note, the that both both teams slipped around like it, they were playing on ice, and uh, it affected both squads. This is you know this was a problem that was uh, universal, but a bit of a disgrace that an NFL field in the Super Bowl was in such a condition that players didn't have traction. And evidently, there's some 94-year-old turf genius who has overseen tons of Super Bowl fields. And according to him today, there were multiple things that were done incorrectly by the grounds team in Arizona in the lead-up to the game. Um, And they watered it too late. They didn't put it out in the sun enough. That field is actually really interesting. It sits on rollers. And they can roll the field outside of the stadium to water and then get it properly properly, uh, hit by sun. And then they can roll it back into the stadium. And evidently on the game day, they watered it. They didn't give it any natural sunlight. And they rolled it back in. So it was just not in the right shape um, for the game. And that's why we saw players slipping around like they did. So really disappointing that the league allowed that to happen. And of course, the NFL has come back and said, oh, no, it was to the standard. It was fine. But anybody who had a pair of eyes that functioned watched that game and recognized that that field was not up to the standards that the NFL expects. Certainly not a Super Bowl. So pretty disappointing. Um a lot has transpired since the Super Bowl loss, and the number one and number two things that did transpire, as I told you it would happen, Shane Steichen left our offensive coordinator, left to become the Indianapolis Colts head coach. Wish him well. The surprise was Jonathan Gannon, our defensive coordinator, left to take the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job. And I think in you know watching the all 22 review so the all 22 is a different um a different different way of watching the game that gives you an aspect where you can see what every single player is doing during the the, uh, play as opposed to the broadcast tape which shows you what particular players are doing but they don't show you the whole field so the reviews of the all 22 in the second half was that jonathan gannon and the defense got schooled um i mean we all saw it we all saw two touchdowns with you know players not covered, etc. But uh, apparently, it was even worse when you really reviewed the tape and how much the Eagles' defense just fell apart in the second half. So, I think it's probably good for everybody that Gannon did take on the uh, head coaching job. I'm sure he wasn't oblivious to this either. The, the man was not well loved in Philadelphia to begin with. Um, so, you know, interesting times, but I think it's it is safe to say that uh, he did not coach a very good second half at all, and you know. At the end of the day, um, we uh, you know we needed to move on from him and move on we have. So hot off the press, so to speak, today we have announced the signing of a gentleman by the name of Sean Desai, who most re- recently was with the um, Seattle Seahawks as the assistant head coach. And the year before that, he was the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. And he is a student under Vic Fangio, who's got a long, long line of defensive coordinators that have come out from under his kind of coaching tree. 
Now, I will say that Vic Fangio's style, Jonathan Gannon was also a disciple of Vic Fangio. So I think our defensive strategy is not going to look totally dissimilar to what we've seen recently from Mr. Gannon. But I would like to think from a tactician's standpoint, maybe Sean Desai is going to have a you know better eye on how to adjust against the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid when they play those really slick offensive coordinators and amazing throwers uh, and quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes. Um. Obviously, that still leaves uh, what happened with our offensive coordinator position, which, um, you know, we did fill with an internal hire by the name of Brian Johnson. So Brian Johnson was the obvious candidate. He was an internal promotion. So Brian was quarterback's coach for the Eagles, uh, has known Jalen Hurts for uh, many years since Jalen was four years old and tried to recruit him at a number of stops. And, you know, I think it was the logical signing there from a continuity standpoint. Certainly Jalen was very um, excited at the prospect of Brian Johnson taking over the offense. And I think that continuity is important because I think we all would agree that um, the offense didn't lose the Super Bowl. I think the offense, you know, scored 35 points. Jalen Hurts probably rightfully was MVP. But when you lose, you don't you don't get MVP. But I think he probably did outplay Patrick Mahomes, which is quite a, a statement. But I, I don't think it's a false one. So Brian Johnson comes in. Uh, most recently, he was at the University of Florida before he came to Philadelphia. But I uh, I really like the move there. I think it was the right blend of get some outside blood for the uh, for the defense and promote um, Brian Johnson. Uh, to offensive coordinator from an internal move uh, for the offense. So exciting times. And he was really well sought after, I might add. So, um, you know, he he was a hot name in offensive coordinator circles. I think obviously the Eagles had given him some indication that he was likely to get that role. So, you know, I think he probably uh, pushed off some of the interviews that he was going to get. So anyway, we've got a totally new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. We have lost some defensive coaches, uh, as you would expect, and so there's going to be some more churn in the coaching staff on the defense. But, you know, and that's a good segue to the fact that we're, you know, on the doorstep of the free agent free agency period starting in late March, which I described is going to be fairly uh, interesting and disruptive for the defensive squad in particular, with, again, a huge list of free agents headlined by the likes of Javon Hargrave, a defensive tackle. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson at safety, James Bradbury at corner, TJ Edwards linebacker, Kaiser White linebacker, Brian uh, Fletcher Cox, I should say, defensive tackle, uh, Brandon Graham defensive end, to name a few, Linval Joseph, uh, Indomitian Sue defensive line. So lots and lots of names there. Uh, Marcus Epps safety. So if I were the Eagles and I was working on, you know, putting Jalen Hurts into a new giant contract and I'd have to you know be very wary of who I can and can't sign my money would go on Javon Hargrave who's a 30 year old and still has a lot of gas in the tank and is a hard position to fill and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson who's 25 and has got a lot of upside as a corner slash nickel uh, sorry safety slash nickel corner so we'll see what they do but that does mean that we end up losing the likes of TJ Edwards you know who played really well this year James Bradbury who played really well so, you know, we're going to we're going to take some losses, but then, you know, someone like a Reed Blankenship would have to step into Marcus Epps's role. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting on offense. Miles Sanders, I I don't see Miles coming back just for a, a myriad of reasons. I think he's going to want more money. I'm not sure the Eagles should or would pay for him to, you know, get a much bigger salary 
from the team. Uh, Isaac Sayamalo, I fully expect to uh, to move on to greener pastures and, and well, to bigger paychecks, I should say. Um, Gardner Minshew, I think we might lose him. Uh, but again, as I said before, the offense is going to stay mostly intact. So this draft is going to be really interesting. So the draft, uh, and actually, let's just pause on the draft for a minute. But right now, literally as we speak, the NFL Combine is happening. And the NFL Combine, as I described before, is where they go measure the player's speed, strength, agility, um, you know, aptitude tests, personality tests, interviews, lots of stuff. And this stuff really does matter. And you see some players that were good college players that come in and test better than people expect, and they move up draft boards or vice versa. Good college players that test worse than people expect. And, you know, there's a couple of really important drills that people pay a lot of attention to. And number one is the 40-yard dash. So the 40-yard dash is how they measure speed in the NFL. And so in certain positions, um, the 40-yard dash is absolutely king. So wide receiver, defensive end, uh, even offensive tackle. So Jordan Malata's position. Um, Lane Johnson, when he got drafted in 2013, ran some silly, really fast, like 4 7 two, 40. So um, for receivers, if you can run like a 4 3 40, so 4 seconds, 4.3 seconds, that's you know a very fast 40 time. If you're a linebacker, if you can run like a 4 6 40, that's fast. Defensive ends, 4 7, 4 6 40s. Um, you get freak offensive tackles um, like Lane Johnson and, and probably Jordan Malata who can run in the 4 9s, 4 8s. Um, so 40 yard dash is something they really do pay attention to. And you will see these freaks of nature that can run really like Jordan Davis last year, our defensive tackle ran somewhere in the four sevens at 340 pounds, uh, you know, call it 155, 160 kilos, which is pretty shocking. So it's going to be very interesting to see, um, what players the Eagles interview so they can choose whom to interview at the combine. And that's obviously a pretty good indication of who they're interested in, um, those interviews. And if you track the interviews they've had historically with players and who they end up drafting, there is a very high correlation. Now, occasionally they do smokescreen it and completely ignore players they like so that nobody is on to the fact that they're interested in them. So we'll see. But when they pick number 10 this year, the draft is very strong at quarterback, which they don't need. Uh, defensive end which the Eagles always want to get defensive linemen, so they could easily go that direction. It's also got a fair few decent cornerbacks. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles... Uh, actually, to be honest with you, how I see this playing out is with the Eagles at number 10, there will be a team, my prediction, that wants to get up and get one of the last top quarterbacks and is willing to move up from, say, 15, 16, 17, 18, somewhere like that, um, and try and you know switch spots with the Eagles, and because what the Eagles do have is three kind of high picks, two number one picks and a second round pick, but then they don't have picks third, fourth, or fifth or sixth round, I believe. Um, so I could easily see Howie Roseman trying to recoup um, some kind of later draft picks and move back a few picks and still pick a cornerback to replace James Bradbury. Or they could stand still if a really good defensive end just falls to them at number 10. They could do that. But I do see them taking a cornerback in that case um, uh, with the number 30 pick at the end of the first round. And again, it wouldn't surprise me if they go offensive line or defensive tackle with that second round pick. As we've, as we've talked about a few times, philosophically, the Eagles strongly believe in building through the offensive and defensive line. And I, I would be surprised if they deviate too much from that this year. But I do think they do need a young top flight cornerback to pair with Darius Slay. So yeah, as I say, my strategy would be re-sign Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, re-sign Javon Hargrave, draft a corner, draft a defensive end, um, probably draft an offensive lineman to replace Isaac Sayamalu. Um, and then, you know, do they move someone like center Cam Jurgens to guard next year if Jason Kelsey sticks around, which it sounds like he might.
in fact, I think if I'm a betting man, Jason Kelsey will stick around. Um, so yeah, you've got free agency in March and then the draft at the end of April. Interesting times. You know, this is where we're really going to see the roster shape up for the coming season. And we're going to get a real sense of how much uh, of a stamp Sean Desai is going to put on this defense. But again, I think what we're going to see is he's going to run a 3-4, which is what we ran last year, which is three um, kind of interior defensive linemen, two rush ends like Hassan Redick and uh, uh, and um, Josh Sweat. And so I, th- I think, you know, we're not going to philosophically see something really out of whack with what the Eagles have. And again, N'Kobe Dean... You know, slotting in and taking over TJ Edwards' slot is something I fully expect because I think TJ Edwards is going to get paid, and he's going to get paid more than we can uh, we can afford to keep him. So, yeah, interesting times. Um, have I emotionally recovered from the Super Bowl? No, I don't think so. I think the scar tissue from those losses lasts a long time. You know, as a fan, I don't think you ever lose the scar tissue from those big losses. It stays with you forever, and it makes you appreciate the win. When you get it, if you know, again, when when we did win the Super Bowl in 2017, the Eagles had had a lot of close calls. You know, they'd lost a previous Super Bowl I attended. They'd lost multiple NFC Championship games under Andy Reid. So I bawled my eyes out when they won because it was just such an outpouring of relief, and uh, you know, it's just such a long journey. And you know, all these things will add up for all of you, hopefully, who are going to become lifelong fans of the team. That if there is a day where we were able to hoist the trophy um, and see Jalen Hurts or whoever it is, uh, you know, celebrate that victory, it means a lot. So I, I'd say retain the heartache that you uh, you felt because it'll it'll do you well down the track. But this is what it's like to be a fan of a team. You know, every season isn't a win. Every season is can be you know really tough and really bad, like we saw in 2020 when the Eagles were one of the worst teams in the league. So as Kiwi Glenn would attest. Oh, and that's something I wanted to call out. I I, I dropped some names of people I wanted to thank in the last episode uh, who contributed to the podcast um, last year. And I left out Melbourne Mike. Melbourne Mike was one of my key guests and was on a few times and brought such a wealth of knowledge to the table. Um, And it's great to have an Australian viewpoint as well for somebody who's been watching the game as long as he has and has got the knowledge that he has as well, which is amazing. And that's actually something else I should address here just in relation to Australia is Aaron Sipos. I do think Aaron needs to go. I hate to say it because this is an Australian Eagles podcast, but Aaron really cost us in that Super Bowl with that shanked punt. And so I do think they're going to look to upgrade the uh, Aaron Sipos punter position this year and probably look to the draft to do it or free agency. Um, so watch this space. But I do think we're going to be down to one Australian, Mr. Jordan Mailata. When it's all said and done coming into next season, I think that's probably for the for the best. So, folks, I, I, I did feel like I was overdue in having a show. Uh, I want to keep these things going. We're certainly going to do a free agency breakdown. It's going to be really interesting to see who we lose and where they go to and what the kind of money they get. I don't think the Eagles are going to be making a lot of moves, you know, because they're going to be focused on keeping whom they can keep from the roster. So, yeah, it's going to be more uh, of a subtraction situation in, in free agency this year than an addition situation like it was last year when we brought in the likes of Hassan Reddick and C.J. Gardner-Johnson later and James Bradbury later. But I will also say that the beginning of the free agency period is just one you know, one period where you can add players all the way up to the regular season. And so, who knows? This, this roster will not be finalized until the first game of the regular season. So, um, otherwise, uh, just an interesting little side note on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He, uh, so... Jonathan Gannon was interviewed at the Combine, and he was asked some pointed questions about the defense's performance in the Super Bowl, which he responded. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson took it upon himself to make the comment on Twitter that um, that Coach Gannon didn't put them in a, in a position to make plays um, and then deleted his tweet. But pretty controversial stuff. 
and uh, you know aligns with something that um, all-time Eagle legend Brian Dawkins, who's played the same position, interestingly enough, safety back in the two, 2000s for the team, uh, tweeted out saying he never would have wanted to play for Jonathan Gannon just because it was such a passive style of defense. So I don't think Sean Desai is going to deviate too much from that style, but it was interesting to see an absolute bona fide Eagles legend in Brian Dawkins saying he never wanted to play in that defense. So that carries a lot of weight and uh, and makes an impact on people's thinking in the, in the city of Philadelphia. So uh, yeah, I guess I say, I think it was time for Jonathan to go. And um, I'm happy for him because I think it, the city, when the city turns their back on you and they decide that you're no longer a favorite son of theirs, they can be pretty harsh in Philly. Um, and we've seen it happen uh, a few times. Sometimes the coaches, not really as often as it is players, but when they turn on you, man, it's uh, it's very hard to, to come back from that. So uh, Jalen Rager, poor guy, wide receiver um, who left last year. He was hated. You know, he would get booed uh, routinely and he would earn it. You know, he would do bad bad things on the field, silly things on the field, and then silly things off the field, social media and stuff. But the fans didn't like him, and he was well aware of it, and he took it very personally. And I'm sure, you know, Jonathan Gannon's a human being. You know, he's he knows what the media is saying about him, what people are saying. And I know he mentioned a few times he'd be out for dinner with his family and get, like, verbally abused in a restaurant, which is not cool. Let's be honest. I don't care what your leanings or legions, allegiances are with the Eagles, but you need to respect a guy's private time when he's with his family. I don't think there's any any room or place for that. So, nevertheless, change, I think, in this case was good. So, folks, um, nice to be back, as I say. Uh, still heartbroken. I'm sure you all are. But onwards and upwards. You know, you've also got to turn the page on this thing. And uh, I know Jalen Hurts is super hungry to get back at it. And uh, we have the right guy there. And I'm really hoping he does get his new contract soon and gets paid. It's going to be a big one. I can tell you that right now. But he's deserved it. Um, you know, and I think we're all lucky and proud to have him as our quarterback. And uh, boy, what a difference a year makes. A year ago, people saying, oh, I'm not so sure about him. I don't think he's the guy. And now it's like, yeah, he's the guy. Let's pay him. So, folks, oh, and he was, uh, I don't know if I said this the last time, but he w- ended up being the runner-up the MVP voting behind Patrick Mahomes, which is pretty amazing. So, um, all right, everybody, uh, great to be back with you. I hope you're all well, and uh, talk to you soon. See ya.